we sang about broken. Jesus was broken for us, and we need to be broken for him. Uh, John Calvin called it self-denial. Uh, I like that. Uh, you see in the bulletin, I call it surrender. Uh, but that's our text, and that's our, uh, I mean, excuse me, that's our theme for this sermon. And our text is from Genesis chapter 32, a great story uh, in the Old Testament it's actually where the people of Israel get their name. So, Genesis 32, 22 to 32, this is the word of God. The same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip socket was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let us respond to God's word together. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Almighty God, as we come to your word, we do believe that we need it, that there's a sense in which you actually feed us spiritually through your word. And we ask that that will be the case today, both as we hear your word preached and as we observe your word uh, through the Lord's Supper, that we might be fed anew, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, first of all, um, I have to learn things, and you know, I'm the interim interim, that is, I'm the interim until they can find an interim. And because of that, uh, I, I did learn that the sermon has to be short today. So uh, uh, hang on, okay? Um, but uh, this business surrender is really important. I think this, this uh, idea can really have an impact in your life. I, I remember when I was a principal of a Christian day school in Tampa, and I was coming down the hall one day, and I saw one of the three-year-olds from the preschool coming along, and his shoe was untied, and he had these long laces. They were dragging along behind him. And so I stopped him, and I said, Timmy, um, would, would you like me to tie your shoelace for you? And he looked up at me, and he said, no, I'd do it. And he kneeled down, and he took one shoelace, and he stuffed it in one side of his shoe, and he took the other shoelace, he stuffed it in the other side of his shoe, and he headed back down toward the boys' room. You know what? 
He was telling me he could do it himself. He didn't need help. He didn't need the principal messing around with his shoe. And I think that in many ways, God tells us over and over again in the Scripture that we're like a bunch of three-year-olds. Spiritually, we think we could do it ourselves. We don't need God. We can be independent. We can handle things ourselves. And because of that, we make a mess of our lives, don't we? We can make a mess of our relationships, our families, our witness, everything. And I don't think there's a better example of that than the man who made a real mess for his life, Jacob. And uh, when we usually study Jacob, or many people do at least, they always talk about he was a cheat, you know. He cheated his brother, he cheated his, and fooled his father. That's what he is. Let's emphasize a cheat. We're all cheats. Uh, I heard a great sermon on this text when I was down in Naples, remember, just two weeks ago. And I mean, it was great. This man's a better preacher than I am. But I still like my interpretation better than him because he said, what we learn from this text is we've got to be vulnerable. Vulnerable. I don't think so. I think this text is showing us what the problem is with the whole human race. That... In essence, we really do believe that we can handle it ourselves, that we don't need God, that we can be self-made men and women for that matter. We can really get along just fine as we are. This is the basic condition of the human race, this idea of autonomy. That is the number one fallen condition that the Bible is dealing with all the way from The beginning in the second page of the Bible when we have the fall, that is the temptation and sin of Adam and Eve in the the garden all the way through to the end at the book of Genesis. So what is the story of Jacob? Well, why do I say that he's kind of the self-made man? If you read the 25th chapter, you find that his mother was expecting child And there was something going on in her womb, and so both Isaac and Rebekah went to God and said, God, what's happening? They were scared. And God said, don't worry about it. Um, Everything is fine. It's just that you got twins. Uh, And uh, this was before sonograms and things like that. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen until it happened. And uh, so he, God says to them, you've got twins, and and they're fighting among one another. And uh, everything will be all right. And oh, by the way, the younger will be served by the older. Now, that is not God's plan. That is not God's rules. That wasn't the way it was supposed to work in the Old Testament. But remember, God's God. God makes the rules so he can break the rules. And here he breaks the rules. He says that Jacob is going to be served by Esau, not the other way around. In other words, Jacob is going to be the patriarch of the family. And so in that same chapter, um, his brother, that is Esau, goes out to a hunt, and it's not a good hunt. He doesn't get anything. He comes home, and his blood blood sugar is down at the bottom, and uh, he doesn't think he's going to survive. And uh, his brother is just, uh, that is, Jacob has just fixed some porridge, and and Esau says, i got to have some of your porridge. And uh, Jacob says, great, just give me your birthright and I'll give you some porridge. Well, if you're going to die, what good's a birthright? So Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. But don't you see, 
birthright already, at least according to God, in chapter 25, belonged to Jacob. God had told his parents, and surely they had told him, you are the patriarch, this birthright belongs to you. But now we go on to chapter 28, and you have to get the blessing, that is the patriarchal blessing, you have to get that before the patriarch passes out of, uh, off the scene, and you become the patriarch. And uh, his, uh, uh, Isaac is, is old, really old, in fact he's totally blind, he can't see at all, and his mother and Jacob come up with a plan. You see, evidently, Esau had a lot of hair on his arms, and, and uh, Jacob was a smooth man. That's the way the Bible puts it. And uh, so they get some wool from a sheep, and they glue it on him. So he's hairy. And then, on top of that, uh, mother knows how to make uh, mutton taste like venison. And so she fixes I, uh, Isaac's favorite meal, and Jacob brings it in and says, you know, I'm Esau, and I've got your favorite meal, and, and, and it's time for the blessing. And Isaac is listening to this and says, uh, you know, you don't sound like Esau. Come over here a minute. So he feels, yeah, what do you feel like, like uh, Esau? And he blesses him. And I figure uh, that this is not a stretch. Back in the kitchen... Uh, Jacob and his mother get together and they say, that was a close call. But not really just a close call because uh, Isaac almost figured out this trick, but because time was moving on and this blessing needed to be performed. And it happened just before Isaac died. But don't you think again, now it's mother and son saying, we did what God told us needed to be done. We got the gift of blessing that had been promised before you were even born. Now we come to our text. And it says here, uh, if you have a Bible like mine, you have a heading, probably all of you do. It says, Jacob wrestles with God. But that's not what the text says. Look at in verse 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man, that's God, a man wrestled with Jacob. You see, Jacob's not wrestling with God. God's wrestling with Jacob. God is coming down and trying to do business with Jacob. I, for all practical purposes, God's been chasing him all over the Middle East. Uh, he has been chasing him uh, in Cana, and then he's been chasing him up, back up to where his relatives lived, and now he's running from his uh, uncle because he's tricked his uncle, and he's become a very rich man for that. He did get two wives out of that, another thing that he didn't want because his uncle tricked him. So you can see what a mess this guy's life is, but now he comes and he's got a problem. He's got Laban, his uncle, uh, and a father-in-law behind him, and he has got Esau, this man, his brother, who's not very happy with him. And it's a pincher move. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the Bible tells us, the same night he rose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 sons, and crossed the fourth of Jabak. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Why do you think he did that? Don't you think 
It's another plan. Just like, hey, I got the birthright. I got the blessing. I've got the uh, cattle and everything from my father-in-law. Everything's worked out pretty well. I'm pretty good at this. And I think if I send everything over there and tell Esau, listen, I know that you're not happy with me uh, because of the birthright, because of the blessing. But here, whatever you think I've stolen from you, you take now. I've got a lot. I'm a rich man. You take whatever you want and just leave the rest for me. I think he thinks he's got it taken care of. He is good at this. He's good at operating his own life and taking care of himself and so on. And what is God trying to teach him? God's trying to teach him, no, you're not independent. You can't do this yourself. Look at your life. Look at how it's gone. You need me. And what the text tells us is um, that when God, uh, verse 25, uh, 26, uh, when the man who is God saw that he could not prevail against Jacob. Now let me stop there for a minute. How can God not prevail against Jacob? Um, I suspect that, well, I know God could vaporize Jacob if he wanted to. So th- what's that mean? Well, it means that when God is doing business with us, he doesn't smash our will he changes our will. And that's exactly what he does here in the life of Jacob when you see it. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hip socket and he, Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, you know what happens when your hip is out of joint? You limp. You need a crutch. You know, my grandmother slipped on the ice when she was 27 years old Uh, It created an infection in her hip, and she had to stay in bed for 12 years. 12 years, she never got out of bed. Because that hip had to be solid, couldn't be moved when she finally was able to get out of bed because of sulfur drugs, that's even before penicillin, um, uh, her hip was was solid. It didn't move. And Grandma had a crutch. And and, uh, we... uh, as kids, we enjoyed her crutch. She had aluminum crutches, and we thought they were more like poles, you know, the pole vault over her sofa. And uh, so when the, when the grandchildren would come to visit Grandma, she'd put her crutches away because she didn't want us messing with them. But Grandma then couldn't move around because she had to have that crutch. You see, that's what, that's what God is trying to teach Jacob. Jacob. You need a crutch. Me. I can remember I had a friend in, in college, and, and he was a dear friend, and we used to discuss religion all the time. And often he would say something like, you know, Paul, you just are a little weaker. And I don't need a, a, a religion. I don't need a God like you need. Uh, and I even think one time he told me, you need a crutch. And back then I wanted to punch him. Now, if I could talk to David again, I'd say, David, you're absolutely right. I need a crutch. But David, you need a crutch too. We weren't made. We weren't made to live in our own strength. We were made for God. And when we don't have God, we're going to make a mess out of our life. You notice that Jacob says, after being touched in the hip, I won't let you go unless you... Bless me. Isn't that significant? I mean, think about it for a minute. Had he ever been blessed before? Sure, we've already talked about it. He already got the blessing. 
Do you see the difference? I can get the blessing. Might have to have my mother help me some, but I can get the blessing. I won't let you go unless you bless me. That's, that's a conversion. And this really is, this really is Jacob's conversion. Notice that his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. I want to tell you something. Surrendering to God is not easy. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. Remember the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, he's asking the right question. And Jesus looks at him and says, you need to sell all that you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. Before that, he had said, you need to follow the Ten Commandments. And the young man said, I've followed them all since my youth. But you haven't sold all that you have. What was the man's problem? His crutch was his money. And he was going to destroy himself with it. That was his problem. And Jesus says, you need me. And what does the text say? He went away sad because he was wealthy. He wasn't willing to give up on himself, to surrender to God and give himself to God. He was not willing to do that. I don't know if many, well, I would think many of you know Eric Little. Little. Um, he... Uh, if, you, if you've never seen the movie Chariots of Fire, rent it, watch it. It's a great movie. But it's the story of Eric Little. In 1924, he was the fastest man in the world. And the way you got that title was by running the 100-yard uh, race and, and, and win. There was the 100, the 200, and the 400. And now in 1924, he was favored to win the gold medal in the Olympics uh, by running the 100-meter race. But, unfortunately, it was on Sunday. And Eric didn't believe that he ought to run the race on Sunday. And so, he didn't become the fastest man in the world at, at the 1924 Olympics. He did run the 200 and win the gold, and the 400 and win the bronze, so he did pretty well. But why did he do that? Because he had given his life to Christ. And he didn't think Christ wanted him to do that. You see how practical this idea of surrender really is? I mean, it's the question, who's in control? Are you in control of your life? Or is God in control of your life? I, I really believe almost every day we're confronted with that question. Am I going to be in control? Or is Christ going to be in control of my life? I had a friend, his name was Eber, and he, had a, he was quite wealthy. He had a, a large company, of, a factory in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, when I first visited him, he was 81 years old, and he had just become a Christian because of a rather sad event in his family. And uh, uh, he was very lonely. Uh, that's why I'd love to have you come and visit. And he would, he would not hear about you staying in a hotel or anything like that. You had to stay in his home. It was a rather large home, and he lived there, just him and a black cat. And uh, one time when I went to visit him, he said, look, we're going to have supper over at a friend's house. I met this lady, and uh, she's invited us over for supper. So I went to, with supper. And here was this uh, wonderful lady. She was 
educated, she was sophisticated, um, she liked to travel, she had read a lot, uh, you know, she was just perfect. And she could cook. She was going to cook us a meal. There was just one problem. She wasn't a believer. Now remember, Eber is a young Christian to start out with and a very old, lonely man. And men who are old and lonely don't do very well. Just ask me about it. And uh, so I knew what he was going to do. And I went back home and I told my wife, I said, Eber is going to marry this lady. She's really nice. She's really sweet. She's really attractive. She's just not a Christian, but he'll marry her. Because that's what old men do. A little bit later, I went back to visit, and I noticed she wasn't around. And I said, Eber, what happened? And I figured she had kind of, you know, put the brakes on because he was a bit older than her, and maybe she didn't want to take care of an old man in his dotage and, and that kind of thing. And he said, well, I sat her down one time, and I said, look, I really enjoy your company. You enjoy my company. We like to travel. Uh, I can take you all over the world and so on. He said, I think we're perfect for one another except for one thing. I'm a young Christian. And you don't believe in Jesus. And, and unless you become a Christian, I can't marry you. And he said, she looked at me and she smiled and said, I like you too and I enjoy your company. I'm really pleased with our relationship, but becoming a Christian, that's highly unlikely. And he said, I told her, well, I'm sorry then. Now, I want to tell you something. When I heard that, I couldn't believe it, but that's a man who surrendered to Christ. That's a man who said, God's in control of my life. I'm not in control of my life. Listen, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this happens to you every day and many times a day. If you're not, this is the first time you can say, I'm going to give up control of my life. I'm going to let go of this independence, and I am going to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and it couldn't be a better day than the day to do it. Especially as you think about the story of Jacob and as you look at the Lord's Supper and for what he's done for you. The question is, will you surrender to Christ? Who's running your life? You remember the saying that Jim Elliott, man that I've told you about many times already, preaching here, his most famous quote is, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's surrender. In the spring of 2004, there were four Baptist missionaries who were killed in Iraq. Karen Watson, who was 38 years old, was one of those uh, missionaries. And she wrote a letter that she gave to her pastor and told him, Keep this letter. Don't open it unless I don't make it home. Well, he got up in front of the congregation, read the letter, and it said this, if you're reading this, it's because I am enjoying being with the Lord and didn't make it home. But there are no regrets. God calls us to obedience. Suffering is expected. And it's all for his glory. I love that. Because Karen Watson was somebody who said, I don't belong to myself. I've been bought with a great price. I belong to the Lord. And I surrender my life to Him. 
That's the invitation from this text this morning. Let us pray. Father, yes. Yes. I won't let you go unless you bless me. Because I need you. I'm not ashamed of the fact that I need a crutch. I need my God to be my Savior. I need my God to lean on. And I rejoice in the fact that you specialize in saving sinners like me. I thank you in His name, Christ's name. Amen.